0: Welcome back to a very upbeat episode of Trojan Talk as we look back on USC's 33-17 win at Utah. I'm Ryan Young, as always, and I am joined by my familiar co-host, Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, and our resident Trojansports.com analyst, Max. How's it going? The vibe's a little bit different
1: today in, in a positive way, Ryan. no, it's, it's, uh, I'm doing well. It was uh, refreshing doing the post-game show on the radio last week. With the win, that felt like a step forward, which is awesome to hear and, and great for this USC team.
0: Yeah, we have a ton of talking points today. Just kind of prepping for the podcast, there was a lot I wanted to cover and a lot of opinions I have, which is always good coming off the game. You want to have plenty of, uh, of fodder, which we do. Real quick, though, got to... Pump the promo. It is our holiday promo, it is our best promo of the year because not only do you get a discounted subscription, but you get free gear. Pretty much whatever you spend for the subscription, you get back in Nike gear, which is hard to beat. It's our Nike 75 promo. If you start a new annual subscription for $75 for the first year, which is a discount of about 25% the regular rate, we give you a coupon code for $75 worth of Nike gear. That can be USC Nike gear. It can be just regular Nike gear. It's whatever you want. It's a great deal. Take advantage. The promo code is Nike75. And if you go to the homepage at trojansports.com, you will see a big banner across the top that makes it real easy to sign up. And um, just follow that and and join us. We had a great discussion on the message board during the game this last week, and really all three games. It's probably been the liveliest uh, in-game chats we've had in my time on the site, so really enjoying that. Would love to have more people to take advantage. We've had a bunch of signups already off that promo, so uh, by all means, please join us. All right, Max, let's let's start general and get specific. What was the the overall takeaway? The one thing that just kind of stuck with you after that game Saturday night? I right,
1: so the one thing that stuck with me was the step that the defense took. I, I thought that was. That was the step where, where we've been waiting the, for the entire team to take. We're hoping that would happen week one. We're expecting it to happen week two, and then for week three, well, the offense I think is doing enough to win ball games. They haven't taken that step that we're waiting to see. But I felt like the defense did that against Utah. I felt like they came into into Salt Lake with a certain mindset. And kind of the kicker with that statement is you want them to take come, that, come with that mindset to Tucson. You want them to bring that mindset every single time they walk into the Coliseum. And, and you want that edge not just when it's Salt Lake, not just when you're playing arguably the most physical program in the Pac-12, but do that every single week. Uh, but I was, I was pleased with the defense. I thought in the first two weeks, one of my big talking points was a lot of the blitzes and a lot of the new schemes and innovative uh, designs that Todd Orlando had. Just weren't working, or just uh, weren't weren't getting home, weren't weren't uh, weren't impacting the game. But then against Utah, we saw kind of everything come together on the defensive side of the thing. And I'd been challenging the linebackers for two weeks. It was my key uh, key to the game once again. It was my key against Arizona. It's my key against Utah. And I felt like uh, when you talk about the three phases of the defense, defense line solid. marlon has been playing great. Seeing some other guys come along. Been impressed with Nick Figueroa. We knew about the secondary. We knew. T- Orlando was going to trust the secondary and really rely on that group, and I've been impressed with them. Felt like they uh, took a step again in this game. But the linebackers especially, especially with Pallier being out, some of these younger guys stepping into bigger roles, uh, they weren't perfect, but I felt like they took a step, which uh, is great to see and very encouraging with, with only a
0: few games left this year. So you're coming around on my guy Nick Figueroa, huh? I'm coming around. I, I still, st- <laughs> I
1: still stick by my guns. Those first few weeks, I still a, I still stick by my guns. But no, he's playing well, and yeah, I, I like. I think he's a, a big, big value
0: for that defensive line. I'm gonna do a segment on him later in, th- in this show. But let's just uh, start with the, the broad defensive comments. Yeah, that, that's the story for sure. They hold Utah to 335 yards. They force five turnovers. They get three sacks. They allow no points after halftime. It was the defense's show, and it had to be because the offense was a little uh, wonky again. But we talked about it last week, I think on the podcast, but I also, in our, in our pregame roundtable discussion, I really went in on the whole – narrative that was emerging from fans about, oh, now I see why Tyler Orlando was fired at Texas. I'm like, guys, the guy's been a coordinator for 15 years, and most of it's been really, really good. How about we put stock in that large sample size over Over one- two
1: weeks of defensive football in a pandemic.
0: <laughs> right. Or, yeah. or, or even, even last year's bad season at Texas when they were just beset by injuries. Really just try and, and uh, lean on logic and reason and – logic and reason dictated to me that maybe we should give Ty Orlando a little more time to establish himself here and I, th- I think we saw the seedlings of an identity for this unit and it's the identity we expected of physical up front really try and control the run game and then just cause havoc in the backfield and they did that and the, even though uh, they had three sacks they, they got the quarterback. Uh, uncomfortable. Numerous other times, in fact, Jake Bentley's interception to Talno Hufanga, he was almost sacked by Drake Jackson on that play. Drake had his arms around him and couldn't pull him down, and then Bentley throws one up into, into double coverage and Hufanga gets it. So even the plays that don't count as sacks uh, were, were still largely influenced by that pass the defensive line. Let's start with the linebackers. I, I want your, your your quarterback lens, you know, looking across the line of scrimmage. What did you see differently in those guys this week? And Raylan Goforth, who was leading the team in missed tackles through two games with seven missed tackles, leads the team with 12 tackles, two pass breakups. Kanai Malga, who gets to start in place the EA, 11 tackles. What was the major difference you saw with those guys?
1: Yeah, I think uh – right away you could see a mentality switch a little bit, right? It was uh, coming downhill. It was taking on blocks. It was being more fundamentally sound with the gaps. And to me, that's where Arizona had some of their big runs is just guys out of position, guys not making the plays when they're right there. But I I do want to circle, and it's not necessarily specifically about the linebackers. It's kind of the entire front seven, but you mentioned identity and kind of what did I notice as a difference? And I, I touched on this before with my previous answer, but the pressure's getting home. It's such a big deal. The first two weeks, we saw Tarlando trying to be creative and trying to bring backers from different areas and bring one backer and roll a second backer off his hip kind of thing. But they just weren't working. They just weren't coming home, which sure is probably an execution thing for a defense, kind of finding their way and getting used to different pressure packages, but it's also on Todd Orlando to make sure that when you are calling something, you are catching an offense off guard. It is unexpected. It is mixing things up. It is putting tackles in tough positions and running backs in even tougher positions, having to pick up linebackers, and that's what we saw, and that's going to be the identity for this defense. Todd Orlando wants to trust his secondary, wants to get after the quarterback, but if you're going to get after the quarterback, you have to get home. If you're going to bring 5 six, seven, seven dudes or they don't really bring seven that much. But if you're going to bring six dudes, like those guys got to get pressure or else you're going to give the opposing quarterback just time to pick you apart. And I felt like these linebackers, you could feel the linebackers both in the run game but also in their pressure packages and and technically, you can kind of put a Drake Jackson and a Hunter Nichols as a linebacker. And I know in, in my mind and in, in USC fans, it's more defensive end as their mind. But if you put them in that group, felt like their ability to just impact the game and put offensive players in tough positions... Was, was a great sign. I think that's going to be the MO moving forward, especially when you play some of these teams that, I mean, Colorado was an inexperienced quarterback. Week after that, Wazoo as an inexperienced quarterback. And then the week after that, we'll see what UCLA's quarterback situation is. But it's a quarterback that... If it's DTR, he's, he's been known to get out of, out, out of sorts when there's pressure. Or it's Chase Griffin, who's a youngster. And I say all that because those pre- pressure packages can confuse quarterbacks, can rattle quarterbacks. And if they bring what they brought to Salt Lake, that's a recipe for uh, the defense doing some really good things and, and really not just getting by games and having the offense win games, but potentially having the defense be the driving force in why USC wins a football game.
0: Yeah, it's funny to say that because we were talking in the preseason like Orlando doesn't have to work miracles. He just has to get the defense a little bit better because the the offense is going to score all these points and carry the show. But maybe it does have to be more balanced. Just to offer some some balanced perspective here. So on the show last week, I picked Utah to win. I also gave myself an out to change that, and I did change that later in the week after talking to our Utah guys and getting a better sense of their situation. And I was told that their offensive line maybe only practiced together for a few days. And, and that might have been a factor and all this that might have showed. So you think of Utah and you just assume that it's going to be one of the stoutest challenges you get up front. Maybe it wasn't maximum peak Utah that they could be later this season. So just you know keep that in mind. But I wouldn't take anything away from the performance because it was highly encouraging. It was everything we wanted to see from this defense and hadn't seen the first two weeks. And it's definitely a foundation to build upon. I want to stick with that and say this. I get that Clay Helton has fallen well short of the standard of USC football. And I get all the criticism and and the perennial hot seat. And I've even been on these podcasts and written columns the last two years saying I would have made a change. But I do step in when I think things are just a little too far the other direction. And after the game Saturday, they win by 16 points. It's their first win in Salt Lake City since 2012. And he gets asked after the game, what do you have to do to create some separation on the scoreboard? And I can can hear it in his voice. He's like, I mean, we just won by 16 points at Utah. And I understand they left points on the table and there was sloppiness, And it is a flawed team. But while, yes, Clay Helton has fallen well short of the standard of USC football, the standard also cannot be perfection because that's not achievable. There's always going to be something in a game that, that goes not to ideal expectations. Your quarterback is going to occasionally get sacked and fumble, and it's going to be returned for a touchdown. And it happens. All I wanted to see out of this game was progress. That's all I wanted to see, progress in some way, some form, some fashion. And I saw it in a really encouraging way to a great degree with the defense. So you know, coming out of the Arizona game, that was a win. And I was very critical. I wrote a critical column. I was very pointed. Coming out of this game, I'm not. I'm encouraged. My optimism for this team is heightened because we saw progress. And did we see it in every category? No, we didn't. But we saw progress. And I think that that should be the storyline off this game. Not that, oh, well, they won by 16, but they could have won by 30. How about they won by 16 and the defense took a major step and now you can hope that the offense maybe follows suit takes a step this week.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good call. And, and to me, I, the lens that I look at it is, well, wait a sec. You, if you're a USC team, you have a team who's 3-0. You have a team who very well should win out their regular season, be 6-0 and with a shot to go and play in the Pac-12 championship. With, at minimum, getting a BCS bowl game and, at maximum, enter the college football playoff. Which I know is crazy, and I know there's USC fans that are listening to that and say, well, Max, that only just lengthens the leash and on, the, on the Clay Helton era, and we don't want that. We don't want that. And while I understand that, that's a really like pessimistic view, I feel like, if you're a USC fan. like You should always want them to win and have them have success. And it's not even me just kind of having all the, the world's all perfect and whatnot. It's just a weird dynamic when you're a sports fan. If you're a fan of a team, get your like, it's never good enough kind of thing. Or you forget about, hey, what is ahead for USC? I made this point in the postgame show is like literally the past two weeks, the vibe has been like the, the sky is falling, which I totally understand. And I understand the fact that, hey, the, the fans that are saying 3-0, and but man, we want Clay Helton out of here. We don't, we, we don't want that. And I get that. But at the end of the day, you have a very, very plausible chance to win the Pac-12 and then get a chance in in the dang college football playoff. And if you're a fan of a team, you should always want your team competing for championships. And so I always kind of look at it through that lens of, I mean, you can be frustrated. You can know it's not ideal. But at the end of the day, when the ball's rolled out and you're playing to win football games, like you should always, I mean, always be at the end of the day, pleased with the win excited about kind of kind of moving forward and i know i say that and people are gonna be like ah, max all that stuff but at the end of the day a lot to be excited for i saw a graphic the other day of usc is has the seventh best odds to make the uh college football playoff or i guess of what of the (laughs) uh, or of the fringe teams of the fringe teams so so no i'll be on but they have a a 15 percent chance to make the college football playoff Oregon has 17, but they're, they're, uh, this is from Fox. Their odds are better than I believe it was Florida, better than I believe it was BYU by one percentage points. And so 15%. And 15% isn't 2%. It isn't 1%. 15%, I mean, that's uh, and with, with the, every week that goes by, I mean, I, I think those odds could only go up because I expect them to beat Colorado. I expect them to beat Wazoo,
0: and I expect them to beat uh, UCLA, and we'll see what happens from there. Okay. Well, that's fair. I want to be on the record. I am going to continue with my stance of not pumping the playoff talk because I need to see a lot more. I'm just going to stay in the moment and say that was an encouraging step forward, but I'm not ready to jump back into the playoff fray. You know, I mentioned the offensive line for Utah had been limited in its practice time together. They also lose their starting quarterback early in that game when Cam Rising's knocked out and he may be out for the season. I haven't seen the final reports yet, but it didn't look good. So Jake Bentley comes in and Obviously, the grad transfer from South Carolina struggled, and clearly they chose Cam Rising for a reason, didn't have him. So things broke USC's way in that game, and I'd say this has been a very fortunate start to the season. I mean, you go back to the 99.8% chance that Arizona State had to close out that game, up 13 points. You go back to maybe another comeback at Arizona. You go to getting Utah... In its first game off a two-week COVID shutdown, uh, things have broken right for this team, and they're going to have to handle business the rest of the way. Because we'll talk about it later. Colorado's better than expected. UCLA's frisky. Washington State's capable. So I am not going to go down the playoff road just yet. But I will just, I will agree with you that it was a encouraging win, and that should be the storyline. And
1: yeah. yeah. And, and I'll say this. I think if USC goes in the college playoff, they get absolutely destroyed. Let me be very clear on that. I think they get absolutely crushed by one of those top teams. But I'm also sitting here and saying, all right, we want to do logic and, and, and facts. And, and I know we want to slow the roll in that conversation just because that's getting ahead of ourselves, and that's fair. But I also look like, wait a sec. USC is going to be favored fairly large, like sizable favorites in the next three games. And then you could say a toss up in the Pac 12 football championship. And at that point, I mean, they're in the conversation, and I feel like it's at least worth bringing up. But I, but I know it's it's getting our head ourselves, and, uh, and sure, until totally we get that regard.
0: So, a few more talking points on the defense. Let's close the book on the linebackers with this question, Max. If you're the coach, what do you do? You saw Raylan Goforth and Kanai Malga play better than we've seen the linebackers play all season. You have EA presumably coming back at some point soon off concussion protocol. Do you stick with what you did at the start of the year with with EA and Raylan and Kanai in a a limited role, or have you seen enough now that you change that balance? It's a great question, and and it's tough because EA's come up a
1: lot over the past couple years, Ryan, when we've talked, and I feel like we both are in the same camp of we want him to do well. I think we see on, on paper all the things he can be and should be and all that, but I think I'm to the point now where, the, like, I, I haven't been impressed with his performance so far in 2020, and. I think the narrative is, has kind of changed to, okay, it may have been a coaching thing to then maybe now it's an EA thing. And it hurts me right. to say that because I'm a former five-star myself and, and a guy who, in many respects, didn't didn't live up to kind of the expectations. And so I have a soft spot for a guy like Palier, who, I mean, he was the top dog. He was supposed to be the next Ray Malaluga. And so you want him to do well. You can kind of see things. But the reality is he's been given every chance to succeed and find success and it hasn't happened. That's just the reality of, of where it is. So I think the idea of sticking with Kanai and, and Raylan and, and kind of go with those guys, especially with two of those guys having having good games uh, this past week, I, I, I think I stick with those two guys. And, and I I kind of say, hey, all right, yeah, you got to play your way back in. And, and sure, I think he gets mixed in there. I think he has a role 100%. I'm not saying um, he just doesn't play. But I think you got to look in, in the other two guys and really evaluate the film, see what they did. And I think there's a very realistic situation where EAA is not the starting middle linebacker, which hurts me to say because I want him to do well. I know what he can be. But at the end of the day, I think you got to perform. And that hasn't necessarily happened. And we saw glimpses of that from the other guys this past week.
0: Yeah, I mean, I gave him uh, immense benefit of the doubt and just assuming that he just couldn't get it going in Clancy's system and that the change to Orlando and what he would be asked to do would make the difference. And that was really just a kind of a uh, faith-based prognostication. And it didn't really materialize. And, again, this is not a season where you have a lot of time to develop. We're already halfway through the regular season, as crazy as that sounds. So I think you have to live in the moment. You have to go with what's working and not project as to what might happen or what you hope can develop. And, yeah, I, I might spring the balance a little bit more to uh, to Raylan and Kenai. Let's go to the defensive line. Uh, we've talked a lot about Marlon Tupelo, too. Clay Helton said someday that he's playing as maybe the best defensive lineman in the conference. I haven't watched all the games, so I can't say that. But, man, he has been – really impressive a guy that we liked last year but he's just found a different level what's what's different to you about Marlon Twepel to this year
1: it's a good point because it's like he was he was always been good but then now he's great and I feel like he's just making more impact plays I think before he was always stout and always active in the middle but it wasn't necessarily like making the play. Versus now, he's like impacting every single play. It feels like, or you have to account for him. You have to know where ninety three is, and so um, it's it's funny. We interviewed Marlon in, in my post game uh, conference after the game, and I asked him like, "What's the difference for you in this system?" Because you don't always ask defensive tackles that question because the job description right. for a D tackle is kind of the same for whoever your defensive coordinator is, and that was pretty much his answer of like, "Well, it doesn't not not much changes." But that, that's kind of my point is it feels like okay, the job description for a defensive tackle is take on double teams and allow your linebackers to make plays. Well, this year so far, those linebackers they haven't been really making the, the, those plays as much. And so as a defensive tackle, you're like, all right, I, 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 I got to take on the double team, but I got to make the play. I got to shed the blocker. I got I to gotta get in there, get in the backfield and, and and get a rush and get a pass rush and, and fill a gap and do all those things. And I feel, I feel like we've seen that from Marlon a lot. And with it being... Some new faces, it feels like, all around him, outside of maybe Drake Jackson, Drake Johnson at the other uh, technically front front seven fr- front seven spot, even though he's the nickel. New faces. I guess Nick Figueroa is a consistent. But point being is he's kind of the main stage in the middle. And, no, he's been impressive, and he's probably playing himself into a very nice conversation here come uh, NFL draft time if he can stay healthy.
0: Yeah, to me, and this is just an interpretation. I don't, uh, you know, only he knows this. But I, I think the loss of Jay Tufelli just triggered for him that, hey, I, I have to kind of be that guy. We have to have that yeah. guy on this line. It was Jay last year. I was a, a very city complimentary player to that. I was, like you said, at times my job was just taking on blocks and and, and tying up block. But we lost Jay. We need a, an impact up the middle. It's got to be me, and he's making it happen. Nick Figueroa. Okay. I'm gonna go a little more in depth here. So one of my favorite things that we do at trojansports.com, and it was impacted this past cycle by the pandemic and uh, the early travel hesitancies, et cetera. But at least with the 2019 class, I went around and tried to visit every one of those guys, sit with them and their families, learn their story. And the very first one I did was Nick Figueroa. This was right after the early signing period in 2018. It was December of 2018, and he was a a junior college player from Riverside City College, and I didn't know much else about him. Really cool backstory. He was a baseball player through high school, transitioned to football his senior year at Cajon High School, and had minimal interest coming out. It was Army. It was Hawaii for a few days. It gave him like a, a short window to make a decision, and it was Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, which is where he ended up going, to play at the FCS level. He goes to Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. They go 1-10 as an FCS team. And at the same time, though, he's seen in practice that, man, I'm, I'm actually I'm really getting the hang of this. I, I could probably play at a higher level. I'm not really enjoying the vibe here uh, going through this losing season. I'm going to make a move. And he kind of gambles on himself, walks away from that scholarship, goes to junior college, and then his recruitment blows up. And – he ends up choosing between USC, UCLA, and Tennessee. And it was a very tight decision. He went back and forth the final days, ultimately between USC and UCLA, and just going back and forth, back and forth, right up until the moment where he signed. And uh, kind of similar to, to Drake Jackson, had the same thing with USC and Arizona State. Just It was just, you know, could not, could not reach a comfort level, it was back and forth. Uh, he chooses USC, and I don't think many people thought much about it at the time, you know, with Juco players, you, you kind of assume, okay, well, it's, it's going to be good depth. It's a guy that can maybe plug in for a few plays. And that's what he did last year. He had a very limited role. He played anywhere from like five to 15 snaps a game. And I don't think he was on anybody's radar to emerge as like almost a full-time cog in the middle who seems to be making a tackle for loss every game. And has three tackles for loss this season, actually leads the team in pressures uh, per PFFs count. He has the, a team high, I think it was nine, nine pressures so far through three games. So a guy has really transformed his role in this team and has to be the biggest surprise on this entire roster. And Clay Helton on Sunday night called him a, a hidden gem. And I think that's a fair assessment because I don't think anyone knew that USC had this player in Nick Figueroa.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned biggest surprise, and that was one of the things coming into this season. Of well, you kind of recognize all these faces, you know. For for the most point, it was a lot, a lot of these guys that were going to have starting roles. Like you, you kind of knew what you were getting, and so the question was, all right, who can take the step up? And I definitely think Nick is leading that charge. And you mentioned the the point when when talking about Marlon, that when Jay left, that kind of elevated Marlon's role. But Jay would have played the same position as Nick in this defense in many exten- uh, in many regards, and so with right. Jay leaving and then Caleb Tremblay, I know he's kind of he's he's back and, and sorting out his deal. But anyways, Caleb's been out for a little bit uh, injury purposes, not like literally out of the program. But with all those names I just mentioned, it's forced Nick uh, Figueroa to elevate his role and not just be a role player, but be a main stage at that position because that was one area where you did feel the impacts of COVID given that uh, Jay left. And so I think if Marlon is the nose and the true cog in the middle, like you needed answers at those defensive end uh, type uh, or tackle, whatever you want to name it in this defense uh, type position. And he's definitely answered the bell there. And and that's the question that I think I know I've been asking myself throughout the first few weeks is, all right, a lot of these faces are familiar names. They, they've played ball, they've had starts, but who can go from, all right, a solid starter or or just a good starter and then level up to a great starter. And I feel like we've seen um, that level up from Nick Figueroa to, all right, he was just a a solid role player. So now he's just a a good USC football starter and a guy that you're not thinking about or wondering about his uh, production. And credit him. I think that that goes along that that J.C. route and uh, with all these recruits coming in with high-end stars and all that to to make his way – Uh, very
0: impressive for sure. They get Brandon Peely back, eliminated capacity last game. Caleb Tremblay missed a second straight game, but he should be back the following week, next week. So that line is is getting healthy. It's getting a little more depth. And you can't help but think, man, what if they also had Jay Tufeli? Exactly. uh, But they don't, and it's it's proven to not be um, a void they couldn't really fill. They've, They've done a good job there. Uh, Before we close the book on the defense, any thoughts on the secondary? Uh, Chris Steele gets his first interception to steal the game. Talano Hufanga has a pick, uh, plays a great all-around game. Anything stand out to you about the secondary?
1: Just kind of what we talked about earlier is like, all right, what's the identity of the defense? I think the identity is, hey, we're going to trust this secondary. Uh, Chris Steele is is a guy I feel like first two weeks we saw some penalties, saw some holding, um, and then for him to get away, or not get away with it, uh, to stay away from it, uh, and then also the interceptions. Interceptions, I mean, so those a lot of those are, are, are poor decisions by Jake Bentley and, and the quarterbacks for Utah, but it's still a huge confidence booster for this secondary. And as long as you can stay healthy, I love this secondary, love this unit, love what Elijah Griffin's doing as well. Stay penalty-free,
0: but just keep a clean game. Love what this secondary unit's doing. Okay, flipping sides of the field, the USC offense. Definitely not its sharpest performance again questions are going to keep mounting about that unit and about quarterback Keaton Slovis Max do we have the conversation again about Keaton Slovis and his arm oh I mean it's less
1: arm and now like greater performance don't you think I feel like it's still a, a conversation but less on fluttering footballs and more on overall performance I'd say
0: right yeah he had the one the one bad interception down the middle It was just, it was a badly thrown ball. It didn't look good. He explained afterward that it was a miscommunication between him and Eric Cronenhoek about which way uh, EK was going to run that route. So that kind of explains why that ball went to no man's land. I asked Keaton after the game, though, I said, you know, what effect is all this chatter about your arm having on you? And as always, he, you know, he always has the right answer. He said, if anything, it's motivating me more to, to, to silence everybody. And, and uh, and play my best. How concerned are you? Okay, if we move away just from, from the, the fluttering balls and the arm talk and focus more on performance, what is your concern level for Keaton Slovis, the version we've seen through three games?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's moderate. Um, I, we, we talked about it in last week's podcast. If I thought the, the issue was mental and just yeah. kind of a, a mental block he had, whether it was injury or whatever it was, and it sounds like after our podcast that they talked about the equipment room and using new footballs, and there was some, some, some dealios there, and I've lived that firsthand. Cody Kessler was a quarterback when I was backing him up that liked footballs in a way that I hated it, and so I I know those dynamics. And so I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say that was true, and so that was weird. But this week, I think your point, your question, spot on in that, I mean, the more we talk about it, it's got to just work up a little bit in his head. And I think when you, what – I didn't think about this, like, right after the game, but using the weekend to, to think about, okay, where is Keaton Slovis? I mean, there's a reason that the, the the term sophomore slump is a thing in sports. And I, once again, similar to my points about EA, I feel bad bringing this up because I don't want to bring, I don't want to... Uh, like I, I, The quarterback in me feels for where he's at. But I do, as, the, as a media member, I feel like it's, it's, it's important to note that, hey, okay, sophomore, sophomore, what does that mean? What does that mean? And the point that I've kind of landed on, and I'm just kind of thinking about, and if I had the ability to talk to Keaton this week, I'd ask him if this is the first time that he's truly played with expectations. And what I mean by that is he was a lower-level uh, recruit in, in high school I mean relatively speaking so recruit but from what I recall not a very successful wins and losses high school and comes into to USC last year and the reality is he's kind of playing with house money right and, and don't get me wrong playing at USC there's still expectations there's still pressure and whatnot. But there's a reason the term sophomore slump uh, kind of exists because the mindset changes sometimes from your first year to your second year. Now people are expecting you to big, do big things. Now people are expecting you to to put up 50 points a game. And some of these throws I'm seeing him make, it's just re it's just errant reads, errant throws, throws that he would just not make a year ago as a younger quarterback. And so you you start diving diving into that mental aspect of the game, and you have to wonder if. This, the questions and the chatter and all that is just, to, a, to at least some extent, I'm not saying it's night and day. I'm not even saying he's playing bad. That's why I feel bad even mentioning sophomore slump. But you have to wonder if the constant chatter and the fact that if I don't convert on this third down, then the noise gets even louder and all that. You have to at least wonder how those expectations, and now that he is the dude, if that is wearing on him in some extent mentally that maybe he uh, was not the case a year ago and I'm not saying that's for sure the case but I think it's a point that I know myself yesterday kind of as I was sitting back thinking about the game was thinking about if I right what what's going on with Keaton what are the factors what's the why that's something that kind of kept coming back kept coming back to me a little bit
0: yeah he, he finishes 24 35 for 264 yards two touchdowns one pick i've heard other people mentioned that same thought. It is interesting, and it's a fair point. This is definitely the, mo- the most expectation he's ever had upon him as a football player. I just, you know, his his whole mentality and demeanor has always been this one of just cool poise, and I would be surprised if he was truly ruffled by that. But we're searching for answers here because it, it hasn't been the same as last year, and there has to be an explanation, whatever it is, and that seems as plausible as any other Um but, yeah, I just don't know. What I will say, though, is I'm just I'm astounded at the overreaction. Like, there were comments on our board during the game Saturday that he should be benched in the first half. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, I'm, and, and I, I immediately, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Come on, people. Come on, seriously. He has not been crisp. He has not been the Keaton we saw last year. But he's not been a, a disaster in any, any regard. The, the numbers are good. I thought it was very telling in his post game press conference, the
1: tone of his of his comments, and, and you kind of alluded to it as well. But you could tell he was very pissed off at his performance. He's frustrated. He's upset. He was. And yeah. it's not a nervousness. I think is a. It's not a uneasiness with his answers. It's not like a, oh, I'm hiding something that I'm mentally, like, super worried about or something. No, he's pissed off at his performance. He was very candid in his response. And to be honest, when I first heard him talk, I thought it was kind of harsh, which is kind of funny because I'm just – I'm being harsh on him right now. But he was harsh uh, on himself. And when you kind of look at the stat line of where he's at, I mean, it's still, like – Pretty good numbers, all, all things considered. But I think that's the point, right? As we all know, the ceiling he can get to, and we saw it last year, and we thought he was going to elevate off that. And I think he knows that he's a competitor. But I thought it was a great sign his post game comments, where he's like, "No, I didn't play well. I, I didn't do this. Didn't do that." And I was like, "Ah, it's a little harsh." But I think it also shows a great mentality as well, which is exciting moving forward.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, he he has the the fumble return for a touchdown, but you know, on that play, I thought the right side of the line just totally abandoned him, and he just got bull rushed there. And then he had the bad pick in the red zone. So he certainly did have a negative impact on those two plays. But, I mean, Keaton's not going anywhere. He's going to be the starting quarterback for this team. And and I feel confident betting that he will get better and better as the season goes on. I I think we've dismissed, or at least you and I have dismissed, that there's any kind of physical uh, impairment going on. And uh, whatever's going on, I think he's going to work through and get better. Uh, I, I truly believe that. Now, the situation got a little more interesting and heightened when USC fans on Saturday were watching JT Daniels get his first start at Georgia and throw for 402 yards and light it up for the Bulldogs. And again, I, I, just, I just love the prisoner of the moment opinions and, and recency bias many, many people who were couldn't wait for JT to get out of town or couldn't wait to get him you know, on the bench and were down him the last two years are now going, man, did we make the wrong decision on Keaton over JT? It's just funny the way fans yeah. think. If um, you're,
1: if, yeah, it, the whole benching thing, I mean, I lived it firsthand, and to me it's it's a joke. It's always the backup quarterback's the fan's best friend and all that, and... I just challenge if you're listening to this and you fall into that mold, just it's, I I hate it. I mean, you're not even helping your team too. That thought process is not getting any traction, but even if it did, it just puts more pressure on your quarterbacks. It just puts more like heightened anxiety on things. And yes, those guys are, that's what, that's what they're supposed to do is deal with it. But I'm happy for JT. That part's cool. We always knew JT was a good quarterback, but I think the big kicker with Keaton was the ceiling was higher and I think that's a big reason that why we're fairly critical right now is we want to see him tap into that ceiling that we were so excited about and we know he can get to. And I think he knows he can get to that, but happy for JT. And I think uh, both quarterbacks have some great days ahead for them.
0: Yeah. USC made the right decision. They, they made the only decision they could make when you to watch Keaton Slovis do what he did over a full season last year. If you're not going away from that. That's now your guy. That's the way it works. i Felt like I was on an island at times, though, and telling people, watch out. JT Daniels is going to do very well at Georgia. Uh, I thought he would get his chance earlier, but I had no doubt that he would prize some doubters as he did Saturday. Moving elsewhere on the offense, a couple of interesting things to me Saturday. We'll start with a running game. I had talked about it last week when the coaches were, were pumping up the 173 rushing yards against Arizona and we hit our mark. And I'm looking at the numbers and going, man, 105 of those came on three plays, and you averaged 2.6 yards a carry on the rest of them. So what's more sustainable? Well, we kind of saw it Saturday, where USC overall rushes for 93 yards on 31 attempts, three yards a carry, and 47 of those came on one play from Keenan Christian. So again, the rest of USC's rushing attempts averaged out to 2.2 yards per carry, Clay Helton was asked about that indirectly on Sunday, and he said, I thought we ran the ball really well. I just, I don't know if if it's just, you know, his standard putting the the, the rosy glow on things or or if he truly feels that they're running the ball effectively because they're not, uh, to be honest with you. They're just not. They do not have a rushing attack they can count on to consistently get the job done.
1: Yeah. No, I'm with you. And I think... Like, looking back, those arbitrary numbers of, like, what's 175 versus 150, like, those are good talking points and good things to shoot for in the running back room. But, I mean, the the flow of the game kind of always changes. And I thought the the running sack, to your point, was, I mean, fairly, like, just pedestrian, just kind of average. And that one long run from Keaton Christian, it was a draw play. So it's not even, like, it's in the normal cadence of the run game. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think... To me, it was kind of. I just, I really don't have a stance on the run game as much because I feel like you're going to have games like that in this offense where. I mean, I loved the uh, the way the, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but I loved how USC attacked the outside lanes with the receivers. I love that. That, to me, should be an op- like an offensive staple. The playmakers USC has with the brain that Graham Harrell has, that puts so much pressure on the offense. To me, like that should be the first talking point to open up the run game rather than the other way around. And I know that's kind of goes against the the way many usc fans are wired where it's run first and then play action off that but i just think the success of this offense and the success of the mentality of graham harrell is kind of the other way around and so i like stuff through the passing game and this was one of those weeks obviously there was no marquee step no steven carr but we're confident in the other backs that they have and just kind of a a very average at best uh ground game attack last week
0: uh both surprising absences uh I'm at the game server, I look down, I see, I see this guy. in the press box at Utah is just basically in orbit. It's up there in the <laughs> sky. So I look down, and I see this guy wearing a, a 30 jersey and sweatpants and not warming up with, with his teammates. I go, is, it, is that Marquis' step? Is he not playing? And I poke around and ask around and find out that he has some kind of upper body injury, later revealed to be a pectoral strain. And then Stephen Carr did warm up. He was in uniform. He did go through all that stuff. And then is just not used. He gets one carry in the second quarter and he's done. And Clay Helton mentioned that he didn't practice a lot last week, but wasn't really clear on why. And then said that he took a, a knee to the back of the to the back or the back of the helmet on the pass pro and the game had to come out. So they are without those two guys. They're two leading rushers, and maybe that if they're healthy, that changes the dynamics of the game. But my point here is I I'm I'm getting a little bit unnerved by the the narrative they're pumping out that, oh, yeah, we're, we're running the ball great. We're running the ball great. And it's, it's almost like a like, like a cult message or something. Like, I'm sitting yeah. around, wait wait a second, is, is, it, is it, are you guys watching this? You're not running the ball great. And it's, it's just not there. And and that's fine. It is what it is, and they can adjust and, and, like you said, find other ways to get the offense moving. But I just, this categorization that, oh, yeah, it was another great rushing attack by us today. And I'm like, what? No,
1: yeah. and we were talking about this in the post game show a little bit. It's like that little sales pitchy mentality that you don't always see with other coaches. And what I mean by that is, all right, all off season they hyped up the narrative of like running the ball, running the ball, and it was yeah. out of a that was their the coaching staff's response to where they felt they were missing last year relative to some of the top teams. But I think it's also some of the pressure amongst the fan base to be like that the the old school mentality of we got to run the ball, run run the ball, run the ball. And so like adhering to that. And then, so now that it's in the season, you get a little sense that they're like, yeah, trying to sell the fan base on this new and improved kind of mentality a little bit, which is just not the case. And once again, to me, it's not the end of the world. Like I like some of the things USC did on offense, but it's, it's weird, right? You don't, you don't see that response and that mentality Out of a Dabo Sweeney or out of a Lincoln Riley or out of guys that are rock rock solid in their programs and in their coaching staffs, and like I'm stating the obvious there, like obviously that's not necessarily the case with Clay Helton, but I think that's it's important to point that out because it feels like with a lot of the pressure that Clay gets, that sometimes with these narratives that he is championing, that he feels obligated even when it's not the case in that certain week to still kind of pump those up and he's a human being I get it right he feels the hot seat all the time and he's trying to adhere there's many weeks where USC fans like gotta run gotta run the ball gotta run the ball and so he's trying to I mean back that narrative or whatever but uh, it just like you said it it just feels off this week especially when uh, it was not a week where USC ran the ball in in a very overly impressive
0: uh, way. Yeah, it's a good point. Let me champion my own narrative or my own <laughs> cause here. Uh, I really, really hope that watching Keenan Christian break yet another long explosive play on Saturday wakes the coaching staff up to the idea that we've got to find a way to get this guy involved. And I understand he's, he's a unique weapon. He's not an every down back. He, maybe he never will be. But find five or six plays a game where you just try to spring him free, whether it's on a draw, whether it's um, in the passing game, and just see if he can break one because his speed is elite. And it just seems absurd to not, when you have a weapon like that, you have that kind of speed, to not make a concerted effort to leverage it just seems like a major missed opportunity to me. And I feared entering the season he would be the odd man out in that running back rotation, and he was. He had just two touches through the first two games, and it's kind of what we saw at the end of last year once guys started getting healthy. Uh, He's too good to not be involved. I'm not saying he needs 10 carries, but be creative and find five or six opportunities a game where you give him a chance to maybe do something special.
1: I don't disagree, but I don't know if I agree either way. Here's a question for you. Those five or six carries, like, whose carries does he take Like in your mind? Because here's where I'm at. That long run for Keenum was great. But if that's Stephen Carr in there, I mean, I, I love Keenan Christian long-term. Great back, great back. Not hating on Keenan Christian. I'm hating on the running back by committee all the time mentality and keeping everyone happy mentality because I think it comes at the cost of getting certain guys in a rhythm. And my worry is if you play a fourth running back, Like that, just, man, there's times where Stephen Carr, and I know he didn't play this last game, but guys, they'll go like an hour and a half of real time without touching the ball. And that gets guys out of rhythm. All these guys, all these backs are phenomenal. I know Keenan Christian's great, but I also know that the reality is Stephen Carr probably makes a very similar run on that draw, in my opinion. Maybe we disagree, but that's the stance I'm in is sitting up there like, man, this is tough, where if I'm a running back, It's awfully hard to get in a rhythm in this offense, and I think there's something to be said about that as well is, is kind of the stance I'm in at
0: least. No, it's a fair point, and I've always been against committees in the backfield for that very reason, and i talked against it the last two years, especially last year. It's not to keep anyone happy. It's that you have the fastest player on the roster who scored five touchdowns for you and had some of the most explosive plays of last season and who on his third touch this year... It goes for forty-seven yards. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's a weapon that can help this offense, and maybe it's it's putting him in the slot as a receiver. I, I don't know. I would just find a way to get him the ball and see if that elite speed can go to work. And I'd be happy for those touches to come at the expense of Stephen Carr or Vi or anyone. Think that he should get those touches, not for his sake, for the sake of this offense. But the the rotation is definitely an obstacle and I totally agree with you and I would love to see a healthy marquee step getting 18 carries that's what I want to see so yeah uh, to me I once again Keenan
1: Keenan Christian's a great back I just I think with this offense I'm, I'm in the mindset now where I mean I'm looking at the depth chart right now where like a less is more type deal I mean Look at all the playmakers. You go, Tyler Vaughn's, Drake London, Amon Ra, all the backs. Uh, I don't. I, I mean, Brew McCoy, name out there. Like, there's only one football to go around. Like, I love the idea of just hammering Amon Ra and Tyler Vaughn's for eight, ten catches a game. Well, if they're doing that, that is just literally how the football game works. That means there's less catches for a, or there's less touches for the running backs. And even mention Drake London and stuff like that. And so this all go. And I know we. I'm talking receivers and running backs. But I just I, th- I think sometimes we are guilty as football fans of saying, Oh, that player's great, we gotta find a way. Not saying that's wrong necessarily, but I do think we can't then say very the next the next week, Oh, why isn't Amon Rock getting so many touches? Or why isn't sure. a- XYZ sure. and that's that's the mindset I, I guess, am uh, very wary of with such a loaded, we all know this, a loaded USC skill position roster. That's the mindset I'm worried of a little bit.
0: It's a very fair counterpoint. I mean, again, personally, I would just run Marquis' step 18 times a game and then mix in <laughs> Carr and, and Christian. Vavise, a, an awesome, an awesome guy, a great teammate. I think he's a little redundant in the offense and I think he's the guy that is getting snaps because they're trying to appease him and keep him happy, or, or he's earned it in practice. I don't think that he is bringing more to the table in those plays than the other guys. I think that's more of a forced balance. But I understand the dynamics, and it's it's sensitive, and, and I get that. So you make a fair counterpoint. Uh, one last point on the offense before we move on to Colorado. Uh, did you happen to notice that Brew McCoy – Played more snaps than Tyler Vaughns, and led USC in targets with eight targets. I did not. That is very
1: interesting. I'll have to go back and uh, look. That's interesting. I think on one hand, I love the fact that uh, Bruce getting in the game right there. I mean, I'm going to be hammering this forever. I still think USC should go more ten personnel. Where that means you have no tight end. That means you have Brew McCoy, Tyler Vaughns both on the field with Drake London, with Amon Ra. I think that uh, that grouping should be on the field more, but it's interesting. And, and now as I hear you say that for the first time and kind of reacting to it on the fly, I wonder, like, was that just the flow of the game, flow of the series, flow of the personnel groups? That'd be well, an interesting
0: question to ask for sure. And Clay Helton was asked on Sunday night, and he said, it was not totally clear as to the reasons behind this, but he said that that Tyler didn't practice as much during the week, and that Brew practiced all week and 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 earned those reps. So that's a we,
1: that's a weak answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you, if you it, have it, Tyler
1: Vons, who's in his fourth fifth year in the program, fifth year, right? You don't. I mean, I'm not counting practice reps there. That, I, I, that's interesting, right?
0: So it, it raised some eyebrows because he, he didn't say, "Oh, Tyler had a hamstring injury and was out for three days." He, he didn't specify. He just said he didn't practice as much. So it was very curious. Uh, but either way, what we've seen through three games is that they want to have Brew McCoy involved, and that was one of my hopes entering the season. I guess it goes back to the point we just talked about: about well, if you're getting Brew heavily involved, it's coming at the expense of somebody else. And there are just uh, so many talented mouths to feed here. But he leads the team with 66 receiving yards, has catches of 23 and 19, so he had an impact on the game. Okay, Max, game balls, game ball time, offense, defense, and I have a wrinkle. For mine, so I'll go first, just in case uh, you weren't thinking this way. My my, my offensive game ball is going to go to special teams, actually, into Parker Lewis, who was four for four on field goals. And man, I'm not sure I've seen a college kicker just boom kicks like he did. I mean, those all those kicks could have gone 25 more yards uh, past the upright. And it was just the velocity and speed that came off his foot with. I, I get it now. I, I get why USC had to make the tough decision to usurp its incumbent kicker, Chase McGrath, who's been loyal to the program, who had a nice season last year, and go with a true freshman because Parker Lewis has a special, special leg.
1: I like that. I like that. Um, let me see here. In- interesting week giving offensive game balls out, especially yeah, when your kicker is kind of the, the most lethal uh Mostly most lethal offensive rep, and I'll give a weird game ball, and it's a, it's, it's a weak game ball, I'll, I'll admit, but I'll give it to Amon Ross St. Brown. I, I thought to me with as an offensive mind, I know his stats weren't out of this world, but and a guy in his position coming in here, he's probably got like the Bolitnikoff Award on his mind. He hasn't necessarily, I mean, he's had two good stat lines already, which is great, and then this week I felt like this was the week where you saw the offense, once again, attack the outside lanes. It was, hey, Utah has young, inexperienced corners. The position group that we love is number 8 and number 21, I guess now number 4 on the outside. Like, we can try to scheme all these fancy run plays and fancy concepts to scheme Drake London Open, but to me, it is so easy to go get yourself a five-yard hitch on the outside, and if they start coming up, let's run past them. And we have yet to see that this year, and so the patience of Amon Ra, I think that the fact that he's had two uh, a good week one, good week two statistically, and then week three, I felt like the, the scheme of the offense favored him more to me it's very exciting moving forward for his role in this offense where once again we've talked about all these playmakers USC has but when you have eight out there and you have the looks that this this offense is getting you should be wearing people out on the outside with basic youth football just hitch go run and turn around and I'll get you the ball and I think his impact will only be elevated more, and I commend him where he might not be getting all the touches that a lot of premier receivers that in his situation would, would be, but you get no sense that there's any complaints at all, um, and I love his mentality as well, and I would expect big things from him moving forward off the back of, of a, a smart game plan I liked offensively this past week.
0: Good stuff. I respect that. Good stuff. Uh, defensive game ball, I have to give it to Marlon Tupelo, two two, for the second time in three games. His sack and forced fumble um, early on really set the tone for the game. It ultimately knocked Cam Rising out of the game for Utah and set USC up on the doorstep for an easy, easy touchdown. And uh, he's just been the steadiest player overall in the defense. And that was his most impactful play yet the season. So he gets my game ball.
1: I like it. I'll get my game ball to the young the, the young linebackers. Excuse me. Um, they were my big question coming uh, coming into this game. I felt like if after the game we said, "Hey, this this linebacker unit played well," that that meant USC probably won the game. I, I said that with the offensive line as well, but especially the linebacker unit. And so you, Raylan, go forth. Can Malga? These younger guys getting in there making plays. Raylan is the second leading tackler on the team. Uh, one tackle or two tackles away from being the leading tackler. So I commend those guys for filling a void. And we're loving them up on this podcast. But I will say the performance was not perfect necessarily. And so let's build off this. Let's have those guys be main stages and have that position group be the position group where maybe a year from now, that's kind of the rock solid position group as, as, they, uh, as they get more experience. So game ball, young linebackers for the USC defense.
0: All right. I I, I I think Kanai Malga respects you still calling him young, even though he's a, he's a junior. But yeah, young, true. Young experience-wise, for sure, for sure. True. Uh, okay, Colorado this week. It's a showdown of undefeated Pac-12 teams, 3-0 USC at home versus 2-0 Colorado. The Buffaloes beat UCLA 48-42, and Stanford 35-32 did not play this past week. Max, what do we know about the Colorado Buffaloes?
1: We know that this Colorado team is a lot better than uh, Max thought walking into this season. (laughs) Me too. I I thought they were going to be awful. I thought they, I mean, one of the worst football teams that I played was the 2013 Colorado team. That was like one of the worst Pac-12 teams I've ever played. And I thought it was going to be similar to that. I mean, they just lost so many playmakers. Their offseason was horrendous. They, I mean, their quarterback was a safety. I'm sitting here thinking, what the heck is going on? I thought Carl Durrell was going to have a rough first year, and that's just not the case. And with all that being said, that's why Carl Durrell, I think the leader in the clubhouse for Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Uh, but what do we know? Their quarterback's a former safety uh, who, who switched back over for this team. He's done some good things. This offense is putting up points. Yes, they might not have the household playmakers, but this offense is putting up points. They're doing some things, and this team is not someone that you're just gonna roll on over. Um, I think defensively, they're not. They're not. Elite. I don't think they have anyone. I don't think there's anyone on this team that scares you. But there's guys that you have to respect. And so Sam Neuer, their quarterback, that's a guy who's very respectable. I think that you don't. You don't get the sense that they're rolling the ball out and they're having to. Be very wary and cautious and nervous about what their quarterback can do. No, he's out there. He's playing ball and he's gonna he's uh, he's gonna play his game. And their the running back, he's kind of their, their 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 playmaker. Jarek Broussard. He's their kick returner. Um, he's a he's a smaller guy, but he's been productive for them. Already has 300 yards rushing on the ground just through a couple games, and so he's a guy Colorado will have, or USC will have to account for. This is a team that is respectable. But this is not a team that USC should uh, should fear. They should take care of business. This is a team that, I mean, the over-under win-loss for Colorado this year, coming into the year, was one. When you talk <laughs> about, yeah, the Vegas over was one. So they're already over that, but that tells you kind of the the mindset they're in. So doing some good things, but this is a team USC should uh, should take care of business with.
0: Yeah, I thought Carl Terrell was the most uninspiring coaching hire of the offseason. It just seemed like one of the convenience because he happened to live – uh, in Boulder and they, they lost Mel Tucker obviously un- unexpectedly to Michigan State and they really couldn't find they couldn't lure in the the Graham Harrell types and they hired the former UCLA coach Darrell because he happens to live nearby and wanted the job I thought what? Well, that's not a good recipe <laughs> yeah but yeah uh, so far uh, the biggest surprise in the conference I'm fascinated by the Sam Neuer story though he was third on the depth chart the quarterback Last year, goes to the coaching staff and says, "Hey, I just want to play. Put me at safety." And he ends up playing a few games on the defensive side, and then was going to transfer after last season. Decides not to, and ends up as the starting quarterback. Just uh, an absurd uh, sequence of events. He's thrown for 512 yards. Uh, what we got? Three touchdowns and one pick so far. Very fascinating. And then you mentioned Jarek Broussard. Uh, didn't play the last two years he registered as a freshman he had a season ending knee injury last year and he's averaging 5.3 yards to carry for them so some maybe unexpected playmakers emerging on that side of the ball
1: totally and uh, Broussard wears that knee brace so I mean I remember when I first saw, I was like that's that's going to be their their leading playmaker he doesn't necessarily uh, look the part uh, and I mean that with all due respect but uh he, he's uh, he, he's shifty, he, he's scrappy back there, and he's put up yards, so he's a guy USC have to respect. And Neuer, it's interesting, sometimes when you hear, like, alright, safety with quarterback, you think just uh, hard and fast, dual threat guy, like, a, or maybe, maybe even a Trace McSorley, where he's a little undersized and kind of does some things with his legs. With Neuer, if you didn't know he played safety, you would just say, alright, this is like a, a solid kind of pocket passer guy that when the pocket breaks down, he can run. And you're going to see that. He's going to He's going to break the pocket at times, and he doesn't have uh, super dynamic legs that are going to fear you necessarily, but he can make you miss, and he's going to run you over. He's not a guy that's going to slide or anything. He, that, that safety mentality is still in him. But uh, the, the point I want to drive home is Neuer, like, he's, he's a guy that can operate in the pocket, and it's not like a, let's let's roll him out and, and try to get some bubble screens and that type of offense. No, it's they're going to call true passing concepts and let him operate uh, as a true quarterback would.
0: What what if, if there's any any concern in this matchup for you for USC? What is it? Ooh, that is a good question. Um,
1: I will say, like nothing. I mean, there, there's no, that's the point i want to drive home. There's right. there's yep. no player on this Colorado team that instills fear in you, and and, and if I'm USC. I bet the message this week at practice is let's do what we do. Let's keep that edge. Let's literally do what we do. And I'm sure the scout team, they probably have the the jerseys and they have the Jarek Broussard, but they don't have one of the jerseys in red and everyone's having to account for one specific player. Or there's no... Like when I, I bet the last four years or three years that USC's had to game plan for Colorado, LaVisca Chenault's jersey, at number two, has been in bright red. And every single player knew where he was, and you had to account for him. It could not be far, further from that in terms of a prepping for Colorado this week.
0: So that said, what is your prediction for Saturday? Ooh, my prediction, I will go – I will go um, –
1: I'll go 21-38 USC. I think we see the defense build off some of the things they did like this past week. Uh, I think this offense is good enough to put up some points. I think we, my gut says we see a step up with the offense where they're saying, hey, enough is enough. I'm fed up with this. But I still think we're sitting here next week saying we left some stuff out there. I just think that's kind of the vibe so far of what I'm seeing and I think they don't totally tap into this offense. I don't think next week is where everything comes together, I guess is the long way of, uh, of what I'm saying,
0: but it's still, a, it's still a solid week and still a win for USC. Okay, um, I'm going to go the opposite way. I think this is the week it all comes together. I see a USC 45-24 win, and at least for one week, the questions about the offense subside. That's my bet. I hope so. Uh, Max, i got to ask you one last question. If, uh, we, we've had a great start to the season with your weekly film room, whiteboard breakdowns. Uh, our subscribers are loving it. You've taken us in-depth on USC's uh, game-winning drives the last two weeks and, and just really broken down the route concepts, the nuances in each play that, that maybe don't stand out to the, the common eye. And it's been really high-level analysis, and we thank you for doing that. It's been awesome. I had someone on the board ask me, man watching max do these breakdowns he's he should be a coach is, is <laughs> in his future and i know i think we talked about it early last year when you're just you're making the transition in the media uh, is coaching at all an interest down the road for you
1: it's a good question i'm glad you asked uh, and no thanks to everyone for watching those breakdowns it's fun for me to do glad it worked out uh it, it is high level, so and sometimes uh, it, it's a long little bit, but I think it's uh, of interest, especially for football nuts, like I know uh, everyone on the message board is. But uh, in terms of coaching, it's one of those things where I I, I feel like I'd, I'd be good at it. I feel like I could have some success. I love the concept of like uh, being a head coach and leading people, but the lifestyle to me is incredibly unattractive <laughs> in terms of right. – having to move from place to place and yes you're making all this money but you only get I mean a week or two off a year and all that and so uh, I also have a serious girlfriend as well and and she's not about the lifestyle either And so I'm hoping that I can get my football fix more on the media front but I've also kind of told her and uh, inside with myself I could see myself maybe at 40 40 years old having a midlife crisis where I'm like you know what I want to go back football full time and so I haven't completely ruled it out but in terms of me taking a coaching job anytime soon, it's uh, it's not happening.
0: Great stuff. Well, uh, look forward to Max's breakdown this Wednesday. Do we know what it's going to be yet? Uh, have you we, uh, <laughs>
1: we, we don't. I thought I thought <laughs> that, that was going to be your question. I was like, ah, oh, crap! I got to come up with something. But uh, no, no, I'll figure no. that out
0: today, and uh, we'll we'll film it uh, tomorrow and make it happen. If you guys haven't seen it yet, though, it's it's just it's really in depth, and I've learned so much from the first two. Uh, you can't help but learn something i think everyone who's watched it has enjoyed it so look for that on wednesdays and then max and i will be back next monday with the recap of this colorado game and looking ahead to the next one as always enjoy it, max good stuff
1: enjoyed it no and i appreciate the kind words and the breakdown and uh yeah i'll see you guys on wednesday with the breakdown and uh next week for the pod and hopefully uh usc's
0: 4-0 very good all right we'll see you guys